0: Uh, first of all, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Yeah. a hugely successful uh, series. Books, yes. Yeah. Uh, God, yes. What was the movie? Are you done your part? No, I've got to go back to Sweden in uh, May and finish playing my, I play the, the patriarch of the family. Uh, it's a good, terrific role and, and I'm working for that wonderful director, David, David Fincher, uh, Fincher right? yeah, who's surely going to win for uh, The Social Network. Yeah, is this first time you met him before this project? No, I never had, no. But I find him absolutely extraordinary as a director. He's just wonderful. And I love that movie. Because, I, particularly because when I saw it, I wasn't aware that it had been directed at all. Mm-hmm. And that's surely the highest compliment you can give a director. Do you find that because you, uh, you, you have the history that you have and you have the career that you've had, that some directors don't direct you the way that you'd want to be, and they just have you come out and do your thing? Yeah, most, most people have you come out and do your thing. And sometimes you're dying for help, <laughs> but then obviously they're not going to give it to you. So you have to learn how to direct yourself. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> you have to and there are very few David Finches in the world you know you he's wonderful he can he does too many takes but he's wonderful.
1: I don't know if this is how you want to start this episode because you do the proper introductions. <laughs> but I just, uh, well, on my home screen, there's a tweet, uh, Twitter notification. Which I'm like, I thought I turned all this shit off, uh, but I have a thousand podcast accounts. So inevitably, something's going to slip through. Chris Evans. Uh, this is truly heartbreaking. What an unbelievable loss. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what's happened in this world? You know, <laughs> the way things have been going. Is it bad when I'm like, oh, he's just talking about Christopher Plummer? That's OK.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's we could just actually start there because I do want to talk about Christopher Plummer and how yeah. everyone. We're going to talk about Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and our latest in our adventure watch. Um, Usually I don't have much of a reaction like this sounds callous. But when someone over the age of 80, let's say, dies, I'm like, yeah, it's sad, but that's a pretty full life. I mean, he was 91 years old. He had a long, storied career. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of it affected me a little more than it usually does, just because, like, he seemed, even at his advanced age, he seemed very vibrant um, and mm. full of life. And very recently, like, it's it's very interesting to talk about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo now, uh, because if you look at his role in Knives Out, uh, shockingly similar. Uh, To Girls in Dragon Tattoo, patriarch of a family of assholes uh, and befriends a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it is just, you know, Dragon Tattoo, much darker, I think. I think it's safe to say uh, than something like Nights Out. But those two characters, shockingly kind of similar. Um, So, yeah, Christopher Plummer just recently passed away. They haven't really released any details other than he passed peacefully in his sleep, which is, I guess, the most any of us can hope for, Uh, especially in Mm -hmm. the day and age of covid you know so lived a full life had a great storied career both on stage and on screen um although the i find it funny that the role he's most known for um is the one he despises uh not a fan of sound of music <laughs> Christopher Plummer, he called it yeah. repeatedly in interviews, the sound of mucus, because uh, he disliked hmm. it so much. He kind of came around to it later in his career and said, like, I'm glad this movie exists. I'm glad people like it. It's just like he found it, like, overly sweet and kind of ridiculous, but he loved working with Julie Andrews. Uh, but other than that, he kind of had not a lot of nice things to say about his most famous role. So He might be happy to
1: know that uh, on IMDb, which they do have a big remembering Christopher Plummer uh, thing is the like the first tab, uh, that known for beginners, the insider, all the money in the world and a beautiful mind. I have to say I'm not, uh, up to date on a beautiful mind, but that one does not, uh, come across like, it's like, yeah, that's a Christopher plumber joint. Uh, definitely beginners and the insider. Sure. I will grant those are, um, all the money in the world. Uh, does that hold, that's a record, right? Is he the oldest? Uh, Yeah Acting nomination for that Yeah Okay It's
0: very interesting Because I don't think he had any nominations Until he was well Like well into his 70s or 80s But then ended up with three nominations By the time he was done So good for him He won for Beginners Beginners Yes
1: Yes Yeah That's a That's a not being dismissive that is a nice role for him to be honored for yeah that, that yeah. is a very sweet film i like that
0: i agree yeah absolutely and um i actually just watched the insider last night and just like i mean it's one of those movies like you always know it's good and then you watch it again you're like man this is fucking great like it's such a phenomenal movie and he is so great in it as you know playing a real person uh, which is always a challenge mike? yep mike, mike. <laughs> That's a lot of <laughs> good name. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but we're here to talk about you know not only him but all of uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which is I think weirdly kind of an underappreciated Fincher movie. Maybe because, I knew that's where you're going. Maybe because it never got on in Twitter? sequels. Well, also it was it was a movie designed to continue and never did. And I watch it now and I'm like, what are we? What are we fucking doing? This is great. Like, this is, I mean, I, when I first, you know, we've talked about our Letterbox accounts a fair amount on numerous podcasts. And when I first started on Letterbox, I just went through movies that I had seen and started rating them, not, like, movies I was watching in the moment. And this was a movie, God, like. Savage. Yeah. and I've, I've removed most of those, I think, because I was like, I don't remember really <laughs> what I thought of that. I saw that 10 years ago. Uh, and I think I gave this, like, either three and a half or four stars. Like, oh, I like that movie. Ugh. And then I watched Ugh. it. And now uh, you'll be happy to know. That is now a five-star movie, in my opinion. Like I think it's That's incredible. I think, um, I think there's a lot of career best work being done here um, by a lot of these actors. And, you know, Venture does it again, man. I think this is... There are moments where it's darkly funny, but, of course, it's mostly very, very serious. Um, and I think he handles the tone of this very well. And, of course, watch the director's commentary and about kind of how difficult how awkward it was to shoot this movie because there is a very vicious cruel rape scene in this movie that's like i mean i've probably seen this movie three or four times but it's never not hard to watch like her performance in that sequence is rough um and it's something that you i find myself wanting to turn from and i've seen so much terrible stuff on screen that that doesn't happen very i've watched like a lot of horror movies a lot of Movies that people would call torture porn, and I'm like, ah, well, this is ridiculous. You you know, you can see how they did this, blah, blah, blah. But this scene feels so real that it is difficult for me to sit through, uh, regardless of how many times I go back to this.
1: I think I saw some criticism, uh, and this may be more modern uh, takes online, where – uh, there are some misgivings about it being maybe too titillating because Rooney Mara is attractive. But I, what is
0: wrong with you? If you find this titillating, I, yeah, I, I don't, don't... want to hang out with you. Like, Well, man. if
1: it's – yeah, if it is titillating, I think that you side more with the uh, the attacker here, with the rapist. Right. Uh, in whatever your particular dark fantasies are. I think even if you're someone like you know, – I'd say both of us find Rooney Mara to be an attractive woman. Sure. That's – that's Out not the titillating window. in the slightest. It, is, it yeah. is horrific. Yeah. Um, I, I will say there is one particularly titillating moment in this film, but it's not so much what <laughs> Ree Marr is doing, even though she's an active participant in the scene. Uh, I love and adore that Daniel Craig, when they do finally consummate this professional relationship into uh, a sexual partnership mm-hmm. that he has just been shot at, um he has like a bullet graze wound uh on his on his head <laughs> and he is so caught up in his legitimate feelings of someone yeah, just shot sure. at me and tried to kill me that he does not notice that Rooney Mara uh as Elizabeth Sounder is removing her clothes and is just like mumbling to himself <laughs> as she goes oh. around and casually uh is naked and locking up the house, securing the premises. I found that to be incredibly sweet and erotic. That, I think you know, I he think is a total uh, <laughs> Total caretaker mode for for James Bond. She is right. she's totally making sure that he's okay. And I now she's love, going to have sex I, with him.
0: I love that she like basically in that sequence uses sex to just shut him up. Like, it, shut up. It's fine. Just I'm gonna I'm gonna give this it's to a distraction. You, so. Yeah, it's, it's like the swig of alcohol. It's, right. it's not much
1: different. I mean, it's you know. <laughs> so, so you took a shot to the face, Dale Craig. Yeah. Your life's not that bad. Yeah, you know, we sewed you up. up. So, You're
0: good to go. It's fine. I
1: love. I love that he plays this guy like a dork because I yeah. thought when they, I was pumped for this fucking movie. I remember the summer yeah. that the teaser came out, uh, and they were hyping it as the feel bad movie hmm. of Christmas. And that's like you know coming Christmas Day. I have. Very warm feelings about it because me and my now wife had just started dating, and this was like our first sort of Christmas.
0: What a nice uh, romance, not together
1: because we weren't like, <laughs> you know, we weren't sharing like our family time together. But I remember us going to see this like when we had our own our own little Christmas together. We went to see the Girls of Dragon Tattoo is our you know that's our Christmas movie, <laughs> and uh, it was a bit of a smart ass marketing hook from Fincher, and maybe not the most appropriate time, even though Christmas does fit in to the yeah. plot in a way there is present it's a winter and all of that i so it's strange that i i do agree with you that this is seen i think the the general response is uh that if you're a fan of it that oh it must be underrated because people didn't jump on board sony didn't continue to produce this because it wasn't as financially successful as what it should have been in their eyes uh and then they strangely tried to reboot it which the reboot it's not that the reboot was terrible But I don't know why they thought that would be any more financially successful than just doing a proper sequel with Rooney Mora. Wait, did Uh, they reboot it or did
0: they just do a sequel with a different set of actors? They –
1: so they actually used the – I think the fourth novel that's not – that was written after the original author died, after he completed work on it. So I I use the term reboot in that they skipped (laughs) any of his work they went to the the new adventures of the girl with the dragon tattoo so same character but it's pretty far removed from right, the right. you know the Millennium trilogy series as they they call it um but 87% uh on the mm-hmm. the rotten tomato score for critics and 86% from the audience so i do think it's sort of talked about in film circles it's like yeah it's you know kind of a misfire and you kind of have to be in the know on it but it seems like Everyone in the world is like, this is really good. Right. And right. yet, it's it. I, but I do agree with you. It still seems to have a reputation as some sort of noble failure of some sort. Right.
0: Right. And, you know, watching this movie, it's impossible not to mention how great Rooney Mara is. Um, as I was watching this, because, you know, the movie I've probably watched the most of hers is probably Carol. Uh, that's a movie I've gone back to a lot. And we we talked about... I want you to promote <laughs> our new podcast. Drop it now, drop it thoroughly, because God, you
1: and the fucking romantic longing.
0: Jesus, it just never ends with me. <laughs> so, and we've talked about this a lot, um, where her performance there is so understated, um, and it's like the world is kind of happening to her, and she's dealing with it all internally. And I think there's a lot of that in this performance too um i think and one of the the thing i think i tweeted right after i saw it is like i don't think there's a better internal actor working right now like i just think she's incredible and not every a lot of our quote-unquote great actors are actors with a capital a right they really go for it like let me stand out i need my oscar clip there's not a lot of oscar clips in rooney mara's filmography that's just not what she does, uh, and I just kept watching this here, and you feel everything she's feeling, but without feeling like put upon, not feeling like oh they're gonna tell me exactly how I should be feeling here. You just get kind of an insight into her through really subtle decision making as an artist, and I was just kind of wowed by this, and I think it's something that she. We're gonna. She's one of those actors I think we're gonna look back on after her career is over and be like as you know, awards go and audiences go, like we really missed the boat. Like, I think she's truly tremendous and should be counted as one of the best working actors. And I was kind of wowed again by this performance. Cause I haven't seen this probably since it came out in theaters. That's probably the, or maybe when it came out on Blu-ray was like the last time I saw this. So it's been quite a while. So not
1: an uh, annual Christmas watch. Like it, the, might the, the it might be now house. might be now. Okay, All
0: right.
1: Progress I mean, being made. That's right. Um, yeah. The ability to become even more mature, you know, that never stops, Dave. You know, you're, you're growing, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Small um, increments. I think – I'll pay her a very high compliment here. I don't think that she's uh, by any stretch in the same ballpark as like a Tom Cruise as far as energy level. Like yeah. they have very different styles of acting. But the compliment I always pay Cruise is that no matter – what sort of genre fare he's doing, whether he's working through like in the nineties, he had like a murderous row of like acclaimed directors. He was working with like, he got to go from Kubrick to Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. for God's sake in the same, same year. Um, I don't think he treats those films any differently than the follow up mission impossible 2. Mm-hmm. like, I think he's he all, sees them all the same. Actually, I see that from Rudy Mara as well. Like it's now it's more low key energy, right? But you know, when you were talking about that, I thought of her, her brief, I think just one proper scene in her, which mm-hmm. is, you know, meant for, for film snobs and film dorks. Uh, and she's great in that. And yet and I don't like it.
0: In... Strange. <laughs> you don't like her? Yeah, I, no, I mean, her is one of those movies that got a lot of great publicity. And, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's something yeah. for our other show, Offscreen Death, feels like something I would choose, right? Like, it is a very cinephile, snob type of movie. And I just thought it was. Yeah, it's, I, it got the Mike Denniston reactions for me. Like, it was pretty good. Pretty good. It's fine. But, like, yeah, not something that stuck with me. Like, tomatoes. I've never uh-huh. wanted to watch it again. I've never – like, I don't dislike it, but it's not something I'm like, oh, I really need to watch her again. What a work of art. Like, nah, I'm good, actually. I saw it once. Saw this, this – you know, I think you uh, – on one of your other podcasts – um was it sober cinema sober where you cinema. covered it recently? Yeah, we covered and it recently. And I think we yeah. had the same disconnect, where I was like, "You said no to that beautiful woman. What the fuck is wrong?" Olivia with Olivia Wilde. Yeah, we can't. Jesus, couldn't get we over. It. I just yeah. couldn't.
1: I couldn't get back into the movie.
0: Yep. Um, all right, Jared's um, wrong. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> God.
1: Uh, it always throws you for a curve when you learn more about your friends. Yeah. and The fact that he agreed with Theodore Twombly in that sequence—that um, was very unbecoming of my co-host. But compare that to something like pure genre fare, Soderbergh's *Side Effects*. Mm-hmm. I think she is treating them all as you know, this is I, I'm playing a serious role, whether you know it's uh, lighthearted in tone or not. I am inhabiting a person. I'm, I'm giving it a fully fleshed out, well thought out performance. Yes. And I, what I'm most impressed with, with her and the girls tracking tattoos, I think that it would be very easy in this particular role to be overshadowed by the abrasive, purposely abrasive and hostile look of the character. Like she is someone who is challenging the norm. She's challenging everyone, daring them to uh, sort of look at her, uh, to look away. Mm -hmm. And, it could just become far too theatrical. Uh, even if you're not doing anything, it's hard to develop that relationship that I started with, that she does with Daniel Craig's journalist, where it feels like a natural friendship of sorts, this form, considering that she is a character that is purposely distant, which unfortunately the sequels would have gotten more into as far as her, her reasoning there in her childhood. Uh, so you would have gotten more more of the meat for Rooney Mara to, to dive into in those. Uh, but I still totally buy into it. I'm, I guess, just as intrigued as all these men that surround her. And some feel kind of protective over her. Um, and I never feel like she is just uh, in costume. I don't feel like it's Rooney Mara playing dress up like as, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Which is, I think it's, it's more difficult than... Uh, We probably realize for for an actor to sort of inhabit such an extreme character in this way.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I also think this is, you know, we're doing this double episode with Gone Girl, which I think is strangely appropriate uh, because both of these, like I've been on record a bunch of times on Gone Girl. So that'll be a challenge to talk about in any kind of new way when we get there. But, you know, it's a trashy beach read. Um, and you're like, you're going to make a great movie out of this. All right. Uh, it's Fincher. I guess I'll do that. Um, and I kind of feel the same because I read I read these books that original trilogy and it's not the same kind of trashy, but they're like really quick reads and like they they don't feel super substantial. So it's not like, oh, we're making based on the novel. Like it's very like right. it doesn't feel like that. But yet he does it again. And I think honestly, this might be more impressive. Um, because like your lead character here, you are introduced to so many characters right away, and it is overwhelming, um, and it shouldn't work. There's no way that this should work, that you have this like, well, let me tell you the story of this family. Here's this random Swedish name. Here's another random Swedish name, but you don't really need it. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, Jesus. But somehow, because you have Christopher Plummer doing it, I think that helps a great deal. He has that sense of... Um, sense of gravity to him that you're like, oh, I need to listen to this man. And I do think, actually, even though he's a relatively minor character in this movie, I think the move, the entire movie hinges on his performance. You have to believe that he has cared for and loved this girl who has been, who has left, who has disappeared, who maybe has died for his entire life. That has to work. So when they finally well, are also, reunited, it has to be a powerful being somewhat moment. Suspicious of him,
1: right? right. Keep it sort of locked. Room sort of murder mystery element of it, mm-hmm. which he sort of cheekily acknowledges. Right. It's like, oh yes, the you know the person that hires the investigator. Obviously, right. you put him at the top of the list as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a it's a dynamic, and I don't, I don't because this isn't knocking against Christopher Plummer. I don't know if that totally works because I think he's so inherently likable that mm-hmm. you're like, nah, it can't be like, um, it can't hmm, be interesting. Him, I, I enjoy his presence too much.
0: Yeah, I think I think it maybe depends on what you've seen of Christopher Plummer as an actor because I think he's had he's had a very interesting career as we've kind of talked about where sometimes he plays these very likable guys like if you watch beginners yes he's like the most likable man in the world but if you watch some of his older movies he also plays a villain very well like you're a big fan of the silent partner um where he's Mm -hmm. he's a villain in that and very convincing (laughs) The scariest Santa Claus you'll ever see. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I find it interesting that you still have this warm reaction to him. And I wonder if that's true for everybody. I do too. Like I, And I think a lot of it's because I was introduced to Christopher Plummer as an older actor. Like I had seen Sound of Music when I was a kid, but I didn't know who that was. Um, so most of my connection to him is as an older actor who's someone who is very warm, even in something like this or in like Knives Out, which is, again, another murder mystery. But he's he's a, a person that you look to not only in terms of authority, but in terms of warmth, like you really get on board with him. Um, so do you feel like this is a better, more interesting mystery if you don't have that connection to Christopher Plummer, or if you have a different actor in that role who you're a little like, hmm, I don't know if I can trust this guy. No, I actually think it goes back to the
1: information overload that you sort of spoke of. I think that, for your own, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, like the entertainment value of it because it, like you, it's hard for me to just totally engage with it as new material because I had read the the books, mm-hmm. at least the you know the original three uh, before this came out, and I believe I had even seen the uh, Swedish language version. I didn't continue on with that trilogy, but at least I think I was aware of the first one. and uh, never that never really. Stuck with me, like I felt like that was like the CBS yeah. movie. It's the funny. It's funny
0: that you bring that up because I have those <laughs> movies still. Have never watched mm-hmm. them. I have the whole trilogy. I think that it was on sale, and I was like, ah, oh, ten bucks for three movies, sure. And I've yeah. never like. And I think yeah. Fincher, like God bless him, has kind of ruined it for me. Like I can't imagine anyone yes, else playing these yeah. characters. Um, but
1: I think that I need to start crossing off the list pretty early on, and I'm comfortable crossing off. Uh, you know Henrik here, the Christopher Plummer character, uh, Mm -hmm. just because it's it could get a little too convoluted uh, if I'm trying to keep all of the balls in the air as far as suspects, and uh, I yeah that that, so that's just me. I'm just like yeah, it's it's you know I don't think it's played to really take him seriously um, as as a threat. Um, I can't say the same for uh Stellan Skarsgard. (laughs) (laughs) Probably good. I think that might be. Maybe it's strange to say, maybe he's too big of a face that when mm. he comes in and that's actually, I think Fincher tries to, as in he's too known, I mean, uh, too known and, you know, to be playing like a middleman to be playing like mm. the, you know, the he guy has to be important. Like, like you got
0: Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. so We're watching. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I,
1: I think that they do a pretty good job by, uh, they help uh, sort of shield that by having first off, Robin Wright, uh, as Daniel Craig's girlfriend, uh, you know I don't I, I don't know what you know they, they have a, a very sort of open relationship. She's a married woman who has um, not even affairs with him. Uh, you have Jolie Richardson as another uh, like cousin that has like moved away from the family. So you have a lot of faces, mm-hmm. which probably goes to probably how expensive this production was, where it couldn't make its money back, even right. if it was. Uh, mildly successful, so I think Fincher tries to hide it by saying that this is like an all-star cast, even in what seems to be thankless parts. But that, a lot of that goes back to the uh, the idea that this was going to be uh, a, a an English language trilogy. I think even what uh, Joel Kinman isn't he in like one brief sequence? Yeah, just, like, yeah. He's supposed to be in the sequel a, paper? a lot. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to watch it that way when you know it's it's meant for so much more, and it's kind of it. I think that's the only thing that's frustrating about this movie to me is like, we could have had two more fucking masterpieces from Fincher. Cause this, you, it feels like he's very comfortable in this, in this style. And he would have been like, it would have been like, honestly, this, this could have been like up there with the great trilogies ever. Like this could have been fantastic, especially with this cast. And from, I mean. from my memories, like the
1: sequels, uh, would have been more action heavy. So uh-huh. I can see them shifting this to maybe like a summer season type thing. Yeah. If this had, had hit the way they, they want to financially um, for me, I don't know if it would have gotten better because I, I like that sort of locked room murder mystery yeah. premise. Yeah. I, I, I like that more. Uh, but I do think that Rooney Mara uh, would have definitely gotten some juicier material. Yes. Um, and it would have been interesting to see what they do with Daniel Craig, whose character is somewhat sidelined yeah. uh, as it becomes more her story.
0: Yeah, I I like that you mentioned that Daniel Craig plays this as kind of a big dork, uh, which is very true and becomes more so throughout the movie. Like, there's a scene where he, like, sneaks into the killer's house and then, like, immediately gets caught. Like, it's just, (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) and it kills me. Like, it is a very suspenseful scene. It's very scary as he's kind of essentially being stalked. But it's also kind of darkly funny where you're like, man, you didn't last five minutes in that house before (laughs) before he knew you were there. Like, this is... I mean, I know you're an investigative journalist, but you are no cat burglar, sir. This is <laughs> not, this is really not for you. The thing I find interesting about this movie is in kind of doing research about it and people's reactions to it. I found that, like, I feel like, wow, you read it that way? I cannot imagine having that thought. There's a scene where she's going to go chase this guy down on the motorcycle, which is a great little action sequence. It doesn't last long, but it's really wonderfully filmed. She you know, leans over to Daniel Craig, who's been, you know, essentially tortured for a little bit there and says, it basically says like, can I kill him? Right. And they took that as like, Oh God, the woman asking for permission from the man to do. And I was like, that's not, that's not how I read this at all. This is her saying, now do you see, now do you see what I've been seeing this whole time? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's him coming to her side. It's not her going like, okay, big strong man, may I do this now? Like, that's not what's happening here. And uh, Fincher mentions it in the commentary as well. And he's like just, and this happens a lot, I've noticed in his commentaries, or he's just like, befuddled and amazed that people would read him wrong like he's like what why are you no that's not what i'm saying at all and it must be so frustrating for a director who is such a control freak that people will take it the wrong way like he's like oh you know how many shots i did to make sure that this ended up right and you still that's what you took from it like i can't imagine watching this movie and thinking that she is asking anyone for permission like that's like the whole arc of her character is an independent arc. Like that's that's what she's trying to get this whole time. And it, I think the the moment that's kind of heartbreaking to me is like she starts having you know a little bit of hope for this interaction between her and Daniel Craig's character, and then she sees him going back to to Robin Wright, and it's just kind of like and it and. And again it's not played up it's not played for effect it's not her like weeping and you know tearing her hair it's just like oh well that fucking sucks all right i guess i'll you know go on my little uh <laughs> my little spree to get millions of dollars i might as well do what i'm do what i'm going to do here which is a really interesting scene that they kind of put at the end of the movie where like everything gets wrapped up very quick. I feel like that actually that sequence could have been longer. It is very, very quick, but I think the movie's runtime is probably already working against it for regular audiences. So like, okay, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get through this a little quicker, but that stuff all really works for me too.
1: Yeah. It's a, uh, a preview of, uh, I guess Fincher finally getting his, his Hitchcock blonde.
0: Yeah, maybe uh, that he can
1: play <laughs> with. Uh, so that's, you know, that's my, uh, not so subtle, Uh, elbow to Dave, that's like, Mm. uh, we've got another movie. Time to move forward.
0: All right, yeah. So now we will talk about Fincher's grand romance, Gone Girl. Um, so (laughs) Gone Girl is Happy Valentine's Day, yeah, Yeah. baby. Uh, Gone Girl is probably at this point, it might be the Fincher movie I've watched the most. Uh, I find myself going back to this a lot, uh, not only for podcast purposes, which I think I've been on three or four podcasts talking about Gone Girl um but just in general (laughs) wait a minute what time period were you invited on to talk about gone girl uh the most recent one was like maybe a month or two ago
1: um i I, i'm only throwing you under the bus in the sense of uh dave is a a semi-recently divorced man within the last few years did they (laughs) (laughs) come to you with that in mind I don't think
0: so. There's think... a guy that can talk about this very particular love story. <laughs> yeah, well, I got out, unlike poor Ben Affleck. <laughs> that sucker got trapped. Um, but I also go back to it just as an enjoyable movie to watch. I think it stands out from Fincher's filmography as maybe being the most, most fun. I think Fight Club you can probably throw in there, too. Uh, but this, to me, is the one. Like, if I'm going to watch a fun Fincher movie, it's definitely going to be Gone Girl. Like, I, I think it's because I think it's. It's two excellent movies in one. It is maybe the best procedural ever made. Like I think it's that first half as a crime procedural is perfect. Um, And then it becomes like, you know, a mystery after that. Like kind of like, where do we go from here? And it completely switches perspective, which I really respect because it's really difficult to do to have – you know, the first hour and 15 minutes of the movie be from Ben Affleck's perspective. And then you go to Rosamund Pike almost completely, uh, by the end of the movie. And yet both of them really work. Like, I think both of them as individual, like short films, like hour long short films are tremendous. Uh, I think it's just fantastic, but I think, I think everyone in this is good, but of course I think Rosamund Pike kind of takes the crown in this movie. I think it's, to me, it's one of the best single performances of the last 10 or 20 years. Like, I think it's perfect. Like, I have no issue with anything in her performance. It is, she hits every single mark and does really inspect, unexpected things in a lot of really interesting places. And it's just like, the fact that this I mean, this doesn't win awards is crazy to me. Like, I, I can't imagine a better performance than Rosamund Pike gave here.
1: Well, it's no Diane Lane or Unfaithful.
0: I don't know. You got fucking and. Killin. I don't know where that. You I got just, thunkin. you know,
1: i just. My knowledge of the Academy Award nominations is so vast. That I can, I just have that in my
0: back pocket to throw. Yeah, and soon, there. if have... not yet, maybe not yet, but soon you'll be hearing that on Offscreen Death. We'll talk all about <laughs> Diane Lane, the Oscars, and Unfaithful. So be sure to transfer over um, there and check that out.
1: There, it is interesting because I, in that particular conversation on that that podcast venture of ours, I, I brought up Glenn Close and. Fatal Attraction. So I think that's probably there's a, a clear connection um, between Gone Girl and Fatal Attraction, mm. uh, in that you are seeing all all of the allure and power that this woman has uh, in the pursuit in the the chase of her uh, to be seen as good enough to to have her in a way, uh, and then to see her casually dismiss. Now, one's about an affair, and this is about a marriage. This is about more of the uh, the slow death of that particular intimacy, as opposed to uh, like a one night uh, dismissal. It's funny to me um, because I think you have to have a particular bent, and I'm guessing Oscar voters are not in this case that they find that um, your wife, uh, that the you know that the call is coming from inside the house, <laughs> can decide to. Uh, systematically take your life apart. Cowards. They find that to be far more terrifying than Glenn Close, as far as like, well... He made a mistake, outsider. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's that's why I I threw Dave under the bus, as far as being the divorced man, because this is a film decidedly more about marriage uh, than anything else. I mean, when you strip away... The, uh, the sort of popcorn stylings right, of thriller, it, the, yeah. the fun of it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that it's probably the the last little bitter end. You know, so in, in the girl with the dragon tattoo, you're talking about maybe it's possibly the awkwardness of trying to wrap things up quickly, and that film ending with um, a very quiet, uh, isolated moment where the, the character is a voyeur into what her life could have been, and doesn't even have uh, the confrontation with her lover. She instead throws his Christmas present. It's really nice, really cool leather jacket. I don't know if Daniel Craig is cool enough in that movie Not in that to movie. have that. No James Bond, Craig. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that um, it's just the last little twist of the knife here that possibly was the turnoff for people. If it, for, for awards recognition for this being something that they were comfortable with, because it's, it gets very creepy at the end. I mean the oh yeah the the premise itself is creepy. Whether like you're saying the first half where Ben Affleck is possibly someone who's killed his wife, then the turn where it's like no, she's fucking with him. She's faked her own death uh to get her revenge on him for his his uh cheating Ben Affleck ways, fucking on the couch yet again. I don't that's know right. why that comes to mind, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I think that's the the part where people may have enjoyed it up to that point, but they don't. I don't like how the decision-making, the, the thought process that goes into Ben Affleck deciding to uh, to stay. I think most people probably find themselves um, on Carrie Coon's side. <laughs> as far as like, are, are you insane? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, And uh, yeah, it's just
0: it's for all the fun we've had. Maybe it's just too much of a downer
1: for, for people.
0: Yeah, maybe. And you mentioned the cheating and there's something very very funny and maybe offensive that came up during Fitcher's commentary when he was talking about Emily Radikowski, uh who's the you know, the college girl who he's cheating with and when he said he was looking for someone to cast, he was like I need someone that every woman in the audience is going to recoil from and every man is gonna <laughs> lean forward and be like I get it <laughs> And he was like, Yeah, and somebody showed me the blurred lines music video and I was like Yep. That that that's about right. <laughs> Don't you
1: like to imagine in this world where there's like an intern or an assistant to Mr. Fincher who walks up with an iPad and is
0: like, uh, Mr. Fincher, take a look at this. Well, and it's I a mean, fucking it's, Robin thick music video. It's funny you bring this up because I can't remember who he said showed it to him, but he had never seen it because um, he's like, you know, he's <laughs> left the world of music videos and he watches you know, movies and T V all day. That's like all he does for for research. And someone was like, take a look at this <laughs> And he was like, Huh. Yeah, I think that'll work. <laughs> you know? And I think she you does... <laughs> yeah the ipad I, got closer yeah exactly uh yeah uh Little. but i do think you know you know fincher actually had a literal
1: purple rose of cairo moment there because he gets to cast right this nude model <laughs> he gets to bring her out living of the, the dream my
0: friend uh, what absolutely. an ass <laughs> glorious ass so you know we talked a lot about rosewood pike obviously who i think is you know not only the you know the lead character but probably the most impressive performance, but like this would be, it's full of just pitch perfect performances. Like whether you're talking about Kim Dickens uh, or you're, ta- you mentioned Carrie Coon, who I think is phenomenal. Uh, and even Ben Affleck, like people have, I feel like people shit on this performance a fair amount. Kind of like, well, he's just playing himself. What a dick. And I'm like, what? like, <laughs> I think he's really good here. Like, I think, I think it takes a, a special kind of ability to play a character where you understand why his wife has this reaction, but also part of you is kind of like, well, all right, but right, let's calm down a little bit. He's not, he's not evil. He's not a monster. So you have to like, you have to have that fight um, for this character. Kind of like, well, you know, he's kind of likable, but like, uh maybe not so much anymore you know it's you know and i think a lot of it is because of the story that is told where you first hear about their relationship fincher also talked about talking to gillian flynn originally that first sex scene was supposed to be kind of a standard missionary sex scene um and they changed it to you know him going down on her um and he talked to gillian flynn and originally it talked about troubles with his likability since he's going to do these terrible things and she was like yeah you don't have that problem anymore We're good. (laughs) Women will like him now. And I was like, yeah, all right, there you go. (laughs) But I do think that that love story that is told from her perspective, like it really works. Like if you don't know all the terrible stuff that happens down the line, like this feels like a meat cute. This feels like a romantic comedy or a romance, the way these two are set up together.
1: It's a a movie about uh, ego and whether or not you can set that aside in, in your marriage, or if you should, I guess like basically uh, how far you move the goalposts as far as your expectations for your your partner, and I think the the disconnect, where, you know whoever these these fucking morons are the same Ben Affleck is just playing himself, which who cares if he is? You know that just means that only one man could have played this role. That just role means that's it's good Affleck. casting. Push. Shut up,
0: it's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it you know the the reading I have of it is that. Ben Affleck's character is Comfortable uh, To a certain degree with his, his Failings Nick you know and Because the, they, they're in financial uh, Constraints here um, And it's something That There's an expectation from him That that's it's not necessarily a shock When that happens uh, That there will be a, a bounce back So it's it's this weird disconnect where he He knows that they're in a bad Place but he's not as concerned about it because he's been there before Mm -hmm. and she has been someone who comes from, from money. And I think there's a certain amount of appearance that she's kept up and that the one sequence that has sort of lived on in infamy, the the cool girl monologue that she has with the the big reveal and basically how she has uh, debased herself uh, to come down to his level. I think a lot of women, (laughs) that's, that's where they were leaning forward and maybe looking at their, Um... their partners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, most of us guys were like, yeah, what, what's wrong with this level? <laughs> so what? <laughs> I'm very comfortable here. <laughs> My natural habitat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pull up a chair. I'm comfortable. I, I think the uh, the girl uh, swinging the Mountain Dew and saying, fuck, yeah, I think she's already comfortable at that level. But Affleck yes. probably needs to accept that maybe he's down there in the mucky muck. Uh, that's to me. That to me is what's interesting as far as both these characters being deeply flawed so even if you remove mm-hmm. the um you know the, the frame the literal framing device of this guy possibly murdering his wife and that's her her revenge on him is that he they, they both are two very egotistical people uh who don't want to i guess you know shame each other or themselves by trying to bridge whatever that disconnect is like that my, my favorite sequence is not the cool girl sequence because I'm a guy was <laughs> as soon as they're done having uh sex where I don't believe he's even looking at her. It's like up against the wall where he immediately, as soon as uh, the sex is over, <laughs> it's a very much a uh, Patrick Warburton from Seinfeld. Like that, that infamous like feels like an Arby's night from Seinfeld. Yeah. It's like, you know, what, is go it to like, Outback. <laughs> how about outback, outback tonight? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> like Ben Affleck has uh, agreed to, um, once we we're together and we have this partnership that uh, intimacy is accepting all of my flaws. Right. And she's coming at it that, like, no, no, I'm still trying to, like, do something here. I'm still trying to be that that woman you fell in love with. And I feel like you're not appreciating all of the fucking things I do, like – uh, having this quick sort of uh, meaningless sex and then quickly agreeing to like Outback feel like a steak tonight. So that those are the things that it's, you know, it's darkly comic. And I yes. think if you're in a troubled way when you went to go see this movie, it's not a good date night movie. No. You know, if there's, if there's no. <laughs>
0: any crack showing, uh, you may have some unpleasant conversations on the way home. For sure. Actually, and this is the highest compliment I could probably give any movie, but like I actually find myself thinking about Phantom Thread when I watch this movie. Uh, because Mm, I think that they are both movies about truly damaged people that probably deserve one another. Like by the end of the movie, I don't think anybody wins. I don't, I don't take this as a like, like, you know, you know, Rosamund Pike is like, oh, she destroyed Ben Affleck and now she has him trapped. She's still doing things she doesn't like. She doesn't want to have kids. Are you fucking kidding me? But now she's now she's willing to because she is getting something out of this. She has shown him and you mentioned like showing all the flaws and kind of living, living in the mucky muck, essentially. And now he knows her flaws, too. He knows finally who she really is. She's always known who he is. He's not real hard to fucking figure out. Uh, he's just a fucking dumb idiot man. Uh, so he's easy to figure out. But she's got some buried corpses. She's got some secrets. And now he's seen it and is, isn't going to leave. So Here's now they belong to lose
1: our listeners. Um, which is why, you know, why we're starting something else. That's right. And so this is the jumping off point for people. If they don't want to continue listening to these two morons, uh, <laughs> talk about misreading the film. Uh, I think you and I are on the same side that when she's, um, you know, they're, they're showering together in the buff, uh, just so there's no, uh, uh phone tapping going on. Uh-huh. There's no wires on their body listening in the conversation. Um, when she says I've killed for you, like how many other women have you been with yeah. that can say that? I feel like you and I were like. that's a good, a good point. point. <laughs> like, <laughs> shower, shower, sex is about to commence. Oh like, yeah, I, <laughs> like she is the fucking one. <laughs>
0: like how, how yeah. dare you?
1: <laughs> I don't feel like that's probably the intention of the film for a general audience. Uh, I, th- I think you're meant to live with that unease of you know the, the choices that both of these characters made that point you're bringing up where you know marriage is seen as some sort of battle to be won where there's going to be a victor but you know if you if you have to wage those battles just to maintain it, you're, you know, you're you've lost as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Like this, what well, that was pretty popular in the what late '80s, early '90s, like War of the Roses, mm-hmm. those type of films where you know they, they took it to that sort of heightened uh, fashion of like you know literal uh, physical battle in this uh, marital space. But I. I think that if there had been some sort of rewrite where, you know, in some way, like Ben Affleck was able to get the cops on the side and, you know, was able to reveal, like if you're going back to the classic studio films where it wouldn't fit, but like suddenly in the last three minutes or like, someone's like, aha, (laughs) we know that Amy, you know, did all of this. We, we, and now like we take her away in cuffs and Ben Affleck is free. I still think there's quite a bit of, mainstream audiences that would have been far more comfortable with that and would have
0: almost expected. Right. Like, Oh wait,
1: uh, and Kim I love Dickens that, is going to come through
0: for us. And here. the movie turns even that on its head by the end of the movie, Kim Dickens knows exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah. She can't do anything either. Everyone's trapped. Like it, it's kind of beautifully written in that way. And actually the one actor I didn't bring up was Tyler Perry who like almost stole this movie for me. Like, he's very good. Very good. God, he's guy. so good. I remember this is back, I think when this came out, I was still doing pop culture case study and doing those, you know, my own awards. And he was on my list for best supporting actor. I think he's tremendous here. Like, he's really funny. He's about really the engaging. the little almost
1: famous. You oh, Patrick like Huggins, the cynical one.
0: Eh, <laughs> get him in his muscle shirts out of here. I'm not interested. I'm not. Get That's a interesting shirt. because
1: I feel like when I watch this film, the. Uh, Closest approximation I see to my buddy,
0: Dave. Is Patrick I mean, character. that is valid. I don't want to see myself on screen. I go for fantasy, my friend. I do not need to see myself like that. I've never thought. Remarks, I got to say, cynicism. Mike, yep. I have never thought about that, but you could not be more correct. <laughs> and it's... The next time some idiot on Twitter has been like, when's the last time you saw someone like you on screen? Now I know where I'm headed. There you go. That yep. is, that is. Completely valid. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, a, you know, it would be a
1: deep pull for, you know, yeah. you might have to explain it if people are not updating their Gone Girl, but. I'm not you explaining. Know.
0: You need to go watch Gone Girl. I'm not explaining anything yeah. to you because it's great. It's fantastic. All right. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting double feature, I think, because as I mentioned, they are both kind of trashy reads, but. They're such different movies. Like when you talk about the tone of these movies, um, you know, the first one, Girl to Dragon 2, much, much more dark, much more, strangely, much more fucked up, even though Gone Girl is a movie about, you know, someone setting up their husband to go to jail, willing to kill themselves. Again, we're <laughs> suicide in a lot of our podcast episodes <laughs> lately. Um, and then getting to the point where, you know, little Doogie Hauser has the best death possible uh, in the history of the world. That's, that's the way to got go into out. I got an argument
1: with my co-host on nine, nine from nine, nine Ben Zook saying like, if I had to go having sex with Roseman Pike and having my coitus. throat slit, he's yeah. like, yeah, but he's like, that's a horribly violent way to go. I'm like, well, it's over with. And it's over like, quick. And you, you know, you went out presumably doing what you love.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I assume we, uh, you know, maybe like some sort of like pill that you just fall asleep. You know, post quote unquote. man.
0: I still might go the. Rosamund you like the Pike theatricality pride. of it? Yeah. The blood I mean, I like. I okay. mean, if I'm going to be real about this, I like the fucking Rosamund Pike part of it. I mean, that's 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 a really good way to go out. I would. There's, there's. I mean, I'd be willing steakhouse days. <laughs> right. I would be willing to have an even more painful death if I'm going out in the middle of that. That's, it doesn't have to be quick. It's fine. <laughs> Look, I am who I am, you bring this out in me, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is what happens. (laughs) But yeah, very, very different movies, but both, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, like if you look at Fincher's filmography of all the movies he had control over, like, except I I think you are obviously much lighter on Mank than I am, but I think in general, like, man, what a career so far. Like it's like going through this has been like I always knew Venture was my favorite and he's made a lot of great movies. But going through these one by one, it's just kind of like how how like hit after hit, not hit in terms of money, but in terms of like good movies, like hit after hit after hit. Like there's really there's not a lot of weak spots in this just filmography.
1: Stop making TV, dude. TV's yeah. taking up too much of your time. Get yeah. back to just movies full time. That's yeah. my that's probably my only criticism as we go over his filmography. And I say that as someone who didn't bother to watch Hunter, and i guess now i never will because it will remain They're unfinished never because it. he yeah. just yeah. got tired of it but yeah i would prefer him to just stay focused on movies even if they are in the netflix model which means that they will be decidedly worse for some reason you just yeah. slap the netflix original label on it and you know what
0: i bet i bet if this movie came out in theaters and you didn't know it was a netflix movie you'd be like "Man, it's great because you know it's not on my fucking tv <laughs>
1: I don't know man like in that conversation i did say that this one i genuinely felt it kind of sticks out more in tone oh it does than what i'm used to yeah. from fincher and uh yeah i mean i <laughs> it's i wasn't just trying to stir the pot when i'm like yeah put that right. together with alien three because it's about the fucking same to me um i i i don't know i just think that uh maybe a little maybe the uh, familial uh Relations. It was too too close mm-hmm. to the uh, the brain sure. when he was filming this. I've, I had the same complaint about uh, well, a similar complaint about Moonlight, um, mm-hmm. with the mother character. And I remember that uh, that was a discussion. Like, oh, this was was taken from Barry Jenkins' life, uh, you know something. And I'm like, yeah, so that's why that's right. why I hated those sequences so much. Um, and instead, Fincher does this to me for damn near over two hours. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm all in favor of the puking. On the carpet, the Good drinking, mm-hmm. that's all great. Um, but no, I you know, I honestly – I think my favorite venture films are when it's decidedly uh, through the lens of a female character. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's – I really think that he gives us something different uh, or just gives a different opportunity for actresses uh, as far as the type of parts they're allowed mm-hmm. to play. So that actually would be my <laughs> – one wish is that whatever project he does next, that it's with the, uh, a woman in the lead role. I don't know if that's the case, because I've not kept up, up to date with what is, what is his next project? Are you aware like, of his... He usually has see. like seven up in the air.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's see. Uh, I just, I'm taking... What I'm taking from that is Mike hates Zodiac. Too many men, not interested. Uh, it looks like there's just one thing in development. Um, interestingly, uh, it's called Strangers, and Ben Affleck and Gillian Flynn wrote the screenplay, and it's based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith, uh, who wrote Carol um so that'll be All right,
1: so i'll take that as a win. yeah yeah there. that
0: You're you'll probably be doing okay
1: the greater female mind involved here yes. how <laughs> dare you take that shot on zodiac because they're <laughs> they're
0: women Isn't that right there's yeah i there's mean a, kind of relationship there. i think when we covered it uh you mentioned the character of uh our one of our lead character's wife and the homestead, and you said it was like blessedly brief uh that we had to really <laughs> delve into that so <laughs> <laughs> this is back into that one line did I tell Mike Denniston <laughs> area. So.
1: I don't remember that, but it does sound like me. So yes. I'm not going to argue the case. And you have an audio record of it. Yeah, so maybe We shall see. I, this one I'll keep. Oh, look. Okay. You give me a double feature of Girl, Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl. What yeah. am I going to stop asking for, for women in lead roles in no, venture films?
0: You absolutely shouldn't after these two. I mean, it's pretty, pretty impressive. And, you know, even in his most recent movie, Mank, uh, the The part you liked the most was the female role yes so you're on Mm -hmm. you're on a hot streak there so i was wondering as you've watched now all of fincher's movies uh kind of mainline them over the last couple months did anything surprise you or was did anything change as far as like you know movies that you enjoyed or movies maybe you enjoy less did did this have like an impact on your view of him as a director
1: I think um, I think probably the biggest change, uh, just for me personally, was rewatching *The Curious Case of Benjamin Button*, which in that conversation we talked about, you know, it's a film about facing mortality and uh, and aging, and so I think that it naturally um, hits home more as you get older. Yeah. Um, the one that I came in all defensive about even at the start of this very conversation was the girl with the dragon tattoo as far as like, no, it's always been fucking great. You Johnny come lately, stop trying to rewrite history. Everyone loved it. Uh, but I, I do think that even me being early on this one and excited about it, that I still have a, I have a deeper appreciation of it, uh, as more than just the genre fair that I think it's, it's seen as like, Oh, the social network was, was the peak venture. That seems to be the agreed upon best, zodiac maybe you know is you would have some votes cast that there as well but uh girls dragon tattoo was the the quote-unquote fun one you know he did the important film with social network that's going to talk about this generation and be the best film of the decade for the 2010s uh, and then we'll do a throwaway uh popcorn thriller i don't know if i feel that way though i think watching them in succession i don't know if someone can reasonably say the girl dragon tattoo is just uh you know the uh the, the Lost World uh, or something like Spielberg's like summer you know summer popcorn movie before he does his attempted Oscar fair which that's probably a poor comparison because I think uh, like Amistad might have been the, the Lost World year I, yeah. so I don't think Fincher's done anything like that uh, also but I didn't want to bring Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the conversation yeah. you see I was trying to yeah I was trying to take my shots. I see you
0: park. yeah yeah I actually I mean this this probably feels like sacrilege to a lot of cinephiles, but I think girl to dragon two is a better movie than the social network. I would, I would take that. Oh, overall. wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, now, now it's come over the top here. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of that comes from watching them back to back. Um, I think, I think the social network gets a lot of praise, as it should. I think it's a great movie, and I would love it if it won the Oscar that year. Uh, and I think I, I'll put this at the beginning of this episode because well, we're talking so much about Christopher Plummer. It was kind of heartbreaking because he's, you know, he's being interviewed about Girl the Dragon Tattoo, and they're like, yeah, Pitcher's great, and he will surely win the Oscar for the social network. And I was like, oh. <laughs> mm. 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 I wish you were right, sir, but that is not exactly what yep. happened. But I think... I think Girls of Dragon Tattoo is just a more challenging movie to me. I think it, you know, and that's strange to say, considering Social Network is a movie about fucking Facebook. Um, But I think it's, you know, we talked about this on this episode. It's very Shakespearean. It's about betrayal. Like, this is not, it's not necessarily a new thing. It's a new setting. uh, And it's done perfectly well. Uh, But this, I mean, this is like, it's asking a lot of his audience, and I think he really he and yet still hits all those marks, and I think it's just incredible. And i I did not expect that going into watching all these movies that I would be higher on *Girl, with the Dragon* two than maybe any of the movies that we've covered. Like this is the one that I'm walking away from, just like, wow, that mm-hmm. is a fucking good movie. This is the one that's really. And I'm it's gonna take of, this as a win.
1: You should. It is because I came into it wanting to really change you know the hearts and minds on the game which oh. now has like the proper criterion collection yes. uh, but I've always felt like the you know the game was the one the the little bastard stepchild that was not getting the love that deserved but uh, now you're telling me people are hating on the girls Dragon tattoo and it's just you know we just can't have nice things
0: that's so right like that that is timeless we go back to I the mean,
1: late 90s oh well, it also it also goes
0: back cool to thing. Mike just telling me just turn off Twitter just do it and I think that's probably it's probably a good call I think um,
1: uh, speaking of social networks, I've been hearing and I guess on, cause I listen to a lot of tech podcasts uh, and they've been talking about the usage in 2020, the jump for the mm-hmm. and someone off to send you the clip. If I can find it again um, where uh, the, the host said, you know, not really a big movie guy, but just is like, Oh, this is enjoyable. And he said, it's a throwback to the internet in the nineties and early two thousands, like pre social media where the utility was kept simple right. and because it's it's someone will just find it and start using it because it's fun
0: like live journal and he sort of the
1: day he, yeah he lamented the idea that letterbox would try to like get bigger and be like mm. we could become a full-on social network based on films because right now uh you know dave can reference the fact that i give girls drink to tattoo five stars but i think it's I only get comments or interactions, even if it's from strangers, when people are watching something. And then they just are like, who else has watched this in my feed? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, they're like, oh, I just watched Girls Dragon Tattoo. Thumbs up, Mike. Like, (laughs) I agree. And so it's it's weird. It's just like something that maybe I watched two years ago. You see someone, like, you get a notification. It's like, oh, someone else just now watched that. And they're just looking for like-minded souls. But that's the end of our interaction. That's it. There's no... Why are you watching this? The now watching is like, how could you? They're like, right. oh, what a waste <laughs> of time. There's, not know, just not, not the negativity yet. Right. So, yes, yeah. Yeah, so Letterbox. Uh, I'm not saying that Fincher's ever going to do the making of Letterbox. I don't think it's going to reach that <laughs> cultural
0: mass. God, let's hope not. Let's hope but he, he could. never gets to he that could. point. If anybody could, it would be David <laughs> Fincher. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one thing that hasn't changed in terms of my David Fincher fandom is that anything that man makes, I'll watch. Like I don't care what it's about. Like, and he proved that point with the Social Network. Like, if you're gonna, if you're a good enough director to make me want to make a want to watch a movie about Mark Zuckerberg, I'll watch damn near anything. So I can't imagine a subject matter that he wants to tackle that I'm like, hmm, not interested. Sorry, Finch, that's that's not gonna happen for me. So, you know, I'm ready to go. Um, but what I would like to talk about, Mike, is what we're gonna be doing next. Uh, because uh, this is uh, I- this is going away. This podcast is is definitely this. This is the death of the auteur, right here. (laughs) We are finishing them (laughs) off. So, what do we? Fincher would like that. Yeah, I think if if anybody would. Um, So, what are we? What are we doing next? Where do we go from here, Mike? Because I can't let you like you know off the hook and not be a host on a show. uh, Because you're only got Mm. like five other shows going. I mean, I don't want you getting lazy.
1: It's funny because I told uh, privately Hyro, my co-host, and Marcus played. And uh, Derek, my co-host on The Grand Gesture, like, hey, we're doing this new thing, me and Dave. And I think both of them, it was almost the same exact text where I felt like something being circulated and passed around, like a newsletter, that you have the same exact response. And they both said, didn't you learn your lesson already to not host another show with Dave? And I'm like, well, apparently not. You know, that that didn't take. Um, I do know that some people like this show, and I, always, I feel somewhat guilty. I don't know why, because I never – I never have any, any interactions with anybody that listens to a podcast directed by unless you screenshot something and send it to me. Um, the only time whoever that, that blessed soul was that really liked when I kept shouting ass to ass during Aronofsky months. Uh, that was pretty cool. That was, you know, that was, that was better than any award I've ever, I've ever had in my life that someone enjoyed <laughs> that particular callback. Uh, but we were, switching gears only in that we're sort of <laughs> unshackling ourselves from dave's uh, damned uh, premise of moving station to station with one filmmaker however i'm still giving dave uh something to work off of because dave likes to have structure, structure. whereas I, I i would just rather talk about whatever movie i just happened to watch that week uh even though i hate shows that do a what i've been watching segment i usually just like to say hey dave I just mainlined five Aronofsky Aronofsky movies, so we can do that because it came naturally to me. So Dave uh, is going to be one half of the show. Uh, We alternate picks, uh, and you will be pulling from like the Sight and Sound List, the AFI 100, 1001 Movies Before You Die, the established things that you should spend your time on uh, before you die. And I will be seeing what's on stars (laughs) that week. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever tickles Mike's fancy, really. It's just like,
0: eh, that looks good to me. But
1: basically I'll be playing the, I guess, more blue collar half of uh, here's a film that uh, probably won't get that particular claim, won't make those lists, uh, but that you should should watch. So we mentioned Unfaithful, Diane Lane uh, has lost sex. That was on Mike's list of 10 movies to see before you die. And so I made sure it was in one of the first episodes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Vertigo, Pulp Fiction, (laughs) Unfaithful.
1: Right. Something like that. Uh, And the podcast is called Offscreen Death because, you know, um, as Dave will show as he keeps picking films that are based around suicide for some reason um, there, there is a limited amount of time that we have on this uh, spectral plane here uh, to watch all these movies and now more than ever there's far too much content for anyone even a, a cinephile to really keep up with saying oh I just watch everything uh, so the, the idea behind the podcast is uh, you know, do we work off a, a set structure a set list um, or do we we find our own way in the perverted wilderness that is Mike's brain, yes. and I think you know which side the, the masses will come down on. It'll be mine, but Dave will be there to class it up. So every other episode will be something respectable, respectful, respectful. <laughs> uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll bring in
0: the sex. That's right. It's Lots a, of it's sex. It's the perfect podcast marriage that that works out just right, uh, just like the perfect marriage in God Girl, which we just talked about. So. That is <laughs> that is where we're yes, headed. It's so. just like that. You're
1: yes. you're trapped in this podcast marriage with us That's right. on Offscreen death. I don't know if we're selling it, Dave. The logo's <laughs> pretty cool. How about that? The logo's you, good. Look it you up should, now.
0: Yeah, you should nice. um, you know, move in terms of, you know, podcast feeds. Uh, just look up Offscreen death. It's on, you know, all your podcast apps ready to go, and you can follow us on Twitter at Offscreen death and on Instagram at the off-screen death because someone Ugh. took God, that I idea and i know that just rankles mike so much so please follow us there we'll continue to watch you know some really good movies um i'll bring in the cinephile aspect and mike will bring in the fun uh, and we'd love you know to hear from you and which side that you land on uh if you want to be respected or loved those are your two options <laughs> come join us in offscreen death